This week, we're continuing our sermon series we're calling All Shook Up. In this series, we're reflecting on stories from the Bible about people whose lives and faith have been shaken up. Our scripture reading for today comes from Mark 9, 14 through 29. In it, we will hear about a father with a son who is in the grips of some kind of chaotic force that is quite literally shaking the son up and harming him greatly. The two of them encounter Jesus, and though the father admits to unbelief, Jesus greets him with compassion and heals the son. Today, we will reflect on how this gospel story speaks to chaos in the world and widens our understanding of God's mercy, compassion, and redemption. Before we hear the scripture read, let us get oriented in the text. We are in the Gospel of Mark, in which Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God, in part through a series of healings and the casting out of unclean spirits, which we will talk about further in a bit. Jesus has been traveling through Galilee, where his disciples, along with many crowds, follow him to hear his teaching, and many come having heard of his reputation as a healer. Just before the events in our reading for today, Jesus and his disciples Peter, James, and John have gone up a high mountain where Jesus became transfigured before them, and Elijah and Moses appear to speak with him. Peter suggests that they build three dwelling places on the mountain for Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. But they hear a voice from the clouds announcing, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And Jesus leads them down the mountain, instructing them to tell no one what they saw. As they walk on, they come upon the other disciples, and this is where our reading picks up. Let us listen. Today's reading comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, we pray, Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. When Jesus, Peter, James, and John came to the other disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some legal experts arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, What are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, 
How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out only through prayer. Almighty God, help us to remember the importance and effectiveness of prayer, that we might truly be your faithful servants. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I believe, help my unbelief, is what the Father in the Gospel account cries out to Jesus. I believe, help my unbelief. When I newly started attending church as an adult, I was very tentative about committing to faith. I had grown up attending church, sometimes Episcopal in early childhood, and then Unitarian in high school, and had tried a sampling of different churches through college and in my twenties, never finding where I fit. When I had my children, I started getting serious about finding a church home. A lot of me wanting to find a church was about my own questions, meaning I knew if my children were at all like me, they would have questions about life, like, why are we here? What is our purpose? What happens when we die? And as a parent, I wanted at bare minimum to have a tradition to draw on in answering, even if it was to say, hey, some people think this, or at church, they said this. What do you think about that? But because I had a lot of questions, and honestly, a lot of doubts, I was seeking a community where those questions and doubts would be accepted. It has been my experience that there are some vocal branches of the Christian church that defensively shut down discourse or disagreement as threatening. But the local Presbyterian church where we were living in Los Angeles, Faith Presbyterian in Valley Village, if you are wondering, had a weekly group for parents of small children. And since I had small children, I checked it out and found it to be warm and supportive. From there, I started attending Sunday worship. And after that, a Sunday morning Bible study led by the pastor, Pastor Rich, where it turned out the questions were not only welcome, but totally encouraged. I remember I got really interested in looking at discrepancies in the translations where the words don't match in different versions of the Bible. So I got a parallel Bible with four different translations in it. And someone one day asked me if I was a Bible scholar because I had this huge Bible. 
And I said something like, no, I just have a lot of questions, which in retrospect turns out to be just a moment of complete lack of self-awareness. Anyway, as I journeyed into Bible study and worship, I continued to have this doubt and worry that having so many questions, essentially not feeling capable of the blind faith I thought was required of Christians, meant that I couldn't really be a follower of Jesus. After all, what would Jesus do with a person who dared express doubts? When I shared this with Pastor Rich, he listened completely non-defensively and encouraged me to keep on learning and being myself. And he prayed with me this prayer, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. As we know, those are the words from the Father in Mark 9. I believe, help my unbelief. Some translations say, I have faith, help my lack of faith. And the exchange between Jesus and the Father in Mark 9 gives us insight into how Jesus did treat a person with a lack of faith. But before we go deeply into the Bible story, which we've already heard, let's address the question of the unclean spirit, sometimes called a demon in versions of the Bible and the casting out or exorcism of the unclean spirit. There are 13 healing stories in Mark's gospel, and the majority of them, four of the 13, are exorcisms. In Jesus's time, belief in demon possession was widespread among Jewish people and Greeks. An exorcism was held up, the ability to exorcise an unclean spirit was held up as a mark of spiritual authority. Jesus was known as a successful exorcist. Even ancient Jewish writings outside of the Bible refer to his power as an exorcist. And the synoptic gospels themselves establish him and his 12 apostles as having the authority to cast out demons. Within Mark, the casting out of unclean spirits or demons is part of the manifestation of the kingdom of God with Jesus. As we delve into this story, because we are talking about belief and unbelief, I think it's important to propose that there are multiple ways for people of faith to make sense of and take seriously the exorcism in the text, even though for many of us, it doesn't gel with our experiences in the modern world. First and most simply, we can take the text, the story literally just as written. Second is to look at the story with a modern medical lens, diagnose the boy with ep epilepsy based on the description of the physical effects and to see Jesus as a healer. Personally, I'm not sure about this one just because I'm not sure about equating a medical issue like epilepsy with unclean spirits. But in my research, I did find a blog post from parents with a child with epilepsy who found this explanation very comforting. Third, if thinking about unclean spirits and demons or ancient medical miracles is a stumbling block for you to understand the text, I would approach it with an open mind as a parable or a teaching story meant to illuminate our understanding of who Jesus is with the acknowledgement that there is a vast cultural difference between the ancient world and our own. Fourth, Bringing them all together, and this is where I land now and where I will preach from, 
is to accept the mystery of the story. Though as a modern person, I don't fully understand the context, I accept that those in Jesus's time experienced unclean spirits or demons and exorcisms, and I acknowledge the limits of my understanding of those things. I don't live in the ancient world, obviously, but I accept the reality of evil in this world and know that human beings can behave in ways that look or feel like they are in spiritual bondage to evil impulses and that there are elements in the world that do seem hostile to goodness. So when I read that the son has an unclean spirit in him that makes him unable to speak and seeks to destroy him, to me this means that the boy and his family and others around them within their experience of the world take the reality of evil seriously and are experiencing that the boy's life is taken over by something chaotic, destructive, and hostile to the boy's well-being. The father has heard of Jesus' reputation as one who casts out unclean spirits and has sought Jesus out for relief. But because Jesus was up on the mountain, the father and son first encountered the disciples and other religious experts none of whom are able to cast out the unclean spirit. When Jesus arrives, the boy is brought to him and the spirit convulses the boy. Jesus asks the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father says, from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus says to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. And then Jesus sees the people crowd around and he commands the unclean spirit to come out of the boy. And it does. Though the boy seems dead, Jesus takes his hand and lifts him up so he can stand. As they leave, the disciples privately ask Jesus, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus says, this kind can come out only through prayer. So, how might this gospel story speak to us today? Let's reflect on the casting out of the unclean spirit. If the unclean spirit is understood as a manifestation of evil or of chaos that has a grip on the life of the boy, we can think about how we may have experienced chaos that is counter to goodness in our own selves or in our own lives at an individual level. For example, some people find this framework helpful when they struggle with an addiction or compulsion that harms them or a loved one. At a larger level, there are many terrible things in the world that even with all our intellect to understand how or why they happen using psychology, sociology, economic theory, at the bottom, these things are inexplicable. Like, how do we explain child abuse or mass shootings or participation in Nazism or apartheid or their current manifestations? Or I also think of the tide of harmful misinformation that has flooded our country, gripping many people almost like an addiction and influencing chaotic and dangerous behavior that causes people to behave in ways that are counter to even their own well-being.
When we are in the grip of something that feels chaotic or evil and beyond our control, how do we get free? In Mark 9, we see that the boy is restored only when his father cries out to Jesus for help. Jesus is explanation that this kind can come out only through prayer. Jesus has an explanation. This kind can only come out through prayer. And the father cries out to Jesus. Jesus, with his openness to the Holy Spirit, liberates the boy from his affliction. For us too, the deeper we get into chaos, the more we must reach out to Jesus through prayer. And I want to be really clear that because Jesus's name throughout history has been used to justify evil, when we're reaching out to Jesus while we're praying, we're also studying the Gospels to teach us about who Jesus is and how he was to show us how to act and to be. And here in Mark 9, we see just one example of how Jesus was, merciful to those who were hurting and compassionate to those who reached out to him and working for the redemption of the world. Mercy and compassion led by Jesus are the way out of chaos and into peace. And we remember from our sermon series on peace that the scriptures teach that true peace for me must include peace for my neighbor and my enemy. Speaking of including neighbors and enemies, before Jesus's encounter with the father and son, Jesus was up on the mountain, high above everyone, transfigured. But Jesus didn't stay there. He came down, ministering among the crowds of people. If Mark's gospel is about Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God, then this story shows us that the kingdom of God isn't only in the high places, with God's voice booming out among the prophets and founders of faith like Moses and Elijah. Jesus brings the kingdom among those who struggle in their faith. I started out with my own story about how the prayer I believe helped my unbelief, helped me in my own faith development. I can quite literally say that I would not be a pastor today if it weren't for this prayer and the openness and compassion that I felt from my pastor when I shared my doubts with him. In my experience, expressing unbelief can be a stepping stone towards a faithful life. Throughout the gospel accounts, we see Jesus reaching people on the margins of society, including as many people as possible in his ministry. And this account in Mark extends Jesus's reach to those on the margins of faith. In Jesus's compassionate response to the Father's cry, we see that Jesus's mercy, compassion, and redemption extend to all those who come to him, even those who struggle to have faith. When we are feeling shook up, it's important to come to Jesus in prayer to ask for help even if it's just to say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That way, with this prayer, we leave behind any shame that we're not a good enough person or strong enough in our faith to deserve God's love. The Father's prayer in Mark 9 shows us that Jesus does not depend on our own faithfulness to work in our lives, and that is good news.
Thanks be to God. Amen.